I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Conversations on Dance is proud to have Yumiko as a continued partner in 2021. Yumiko is a company inspired by beauty and standards. As a leader in the dancewear industry, they take great pride in their impact as a socially and environmentally conscious brand. And today we have big news. In honor of springtime's arrival, Yumiko is offering a special in-store discount to our New York City listeners. Show that you are subscribed to Conversations on Dance at checkout and receive a 10% discount on your in-store purchase. For store hours, visit yumiko.com and be sure to follow along on Instagram at Yumiko to participate in their weekly giveaways and to stay updated on all things 2021. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Breeden. And you're listening to Conversations on Dance. This week, we are joined by Eugenia Zinoviva, co-director of Rhode Island Women's Choreography Project and dancer with Festival Ballet Providence. Born in Moscow, Russia, Eugenia moved to the United States at a young age and began her classical ballet training at the Boston Ballet School, while also competing as a rhythmic gymnast. She graduated from the University of North Carolina School of the Arts high school program. She spent a year coaching with SLK Ballet in New York City before joining Festival Ballet Providence. Eugenia got her start in choreography through a unique program, which she now co-directs, called Rhode Island Women's Choreography Project, or RIWCP. RIWCP returns on June 26, 2021. This year's digital production features six short dance films by up-and-coming women choreographers from New England and beyond. Enjoy inspired works filmed in settings such as mountains, sand dunes, a city apartment, and more. Each dance creator has an opportunity to connect with a personal mentor to deepen her creative process this year. For more information on the project and for tickets to their virtual event on June 26th, visit riwomenschoreographyproject.com or click the link in the description of this episode. Eugenia got in touch with us after listening to episode 221, where we discussed our fantasy ballet company. She let us know about RIWCP, so we knew we had to have her on the podcast to share her work with our listeners.
Eugenia, thank you for joining us today. Um, we're really excited to talk to you after we had a brief um, Instagram exchange and um, <laughs> we're so lucky to have you on. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, yeah, we're so glad that you got in touch with us after our Fantasy Ballet Company episode. You have some really cool work that you're doing. And so we're really excited to talk to you about that. And we'll get into that later. But um, first, let's just start with how you first became interested in dance. Uh, well, I think like every other or many other dancers, I was put in a dance class when I was five and I never quit. <laughs> mm -hmm. So um, I started training on Long Island and uh, I then moved to Boston Ballet School and I was there for over a decade. And I finished out high school at the North Carolina School of the Arts. And then I trained for another year in New York and kind of just figured out what I was looking for. Um, and then I got a contract with Festival Ballet Providence in Rhode Island. And so I came here as a trainee in 2012. And uh, I've been here since. And I've mm -hmm. kind of made my way through trainee, apprentice, company member, all of that. So mm -hmm. yeah, so um, that's kind of my half your, your journey well let's go back to the beginning of the journey though uh, you, so you were born in russia about when um did you come over to the states um i came over to the states pretty much right after i was born because it was right after the soviet union crashed and mm -hmm. everything was kind of going all directions over there and right. um my father was lucky to um get a research assistant position on Long Island, which is where we ended up moving from Moscow. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so I was born there and it was, you know, I was living in a one bedroom apartment with my grandmother, my parents, like my father's sister and her mm -hmm. husband. And it, there were so many of us in there. Right. <laughs> so um, we were really lucky to have that opportunity to kind of start over. And it was a completely fresh slate when we came over mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, I mean, obviously Russia has such a, you know, a connection to ballet. It's a, it's such a, um, it's like national pride there, you know, the way that um, they uphold the arts and particularly ballet. So was that, um, did your family have interest in ballet? Yes. And my mother took ballet classes growing up when she was there. And she was the one that kind of put me in ballet to begin with. And um there's definitely a strong cultural component. I've gone back there a few times and actually it's amazing. Their subways are plastered with like huge advertisements of mm -hmm. just ballerinas. It's, mm -hmm. oh, cool. I mean, it's beautiful. I'm like, yeah. wow, this is really nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yes, my, my mother danced growing up. And so I think it was kind of a natural, um, starting point for right. me. Sure. And you also were a competitive rhythmic gymnast. Is that right? Yes, How I did was. you get into that? And what was that like for you? Like, what were you, what was your training like? And how did that kind of mesh with ballet? It was a very intense, that was a very intense period of my life. Um, mm. I, I think we just, uh, I think we just wanted to try something new in addition to ballet. So it wasn't like I was quitting ballet, but we just decided to try adding another thing and seeing mm -hmm. what I liked better. And so at the top of it, I was coaching um, training three times a week for rhythmic gymnastics. And I was going to ballet three times a week. So, wow. so six days a week, I was doing some sort of very intense physical activity, right. um, and training sessions for rhythmic gymnastics are, 
four hours long. So you have like an hour of beginning and they actually do kind of a ballet bar, which is funny because it's mm-hmm. not really, it's not real ballet. It's like <laughs> gymnastics ballet, but, right. um, and then you finish off with like an hour of conditioning at the end. And then I was going to competitions on the weekends and, um, then going to ballet class the next day. And in between all that, I'm going to normal school. I'm, I was in middle school at that point. And so I'm doing my homework in the car and right. of yeah, it was intense. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, you know, I think people, you know, we associate like the most famous person that uh, did rhythmic jast- gymnastics and then into ballet, you know, Sylvie Guillaume, you think it's just like, oh, like rhythmic gymnastics is such a perfect, easy segue, like, and you just come in and your legs go sky high. <laughs> but are there actually like, how well do those two trainings work? Like, is there anything that was working against you in one or the other form? I actually think they complement each other very well. Okay. Um, so n- not to my memory, I don't remember anything being like, oh, so I have to do this differently here. Right. Like they both focus on line mm-hmm. and like creating a beautiful line. And it's the same like stretched knees, pointed toes and right. all of that. And I think one of the misunderstandings about rhythmic gymnastics is that, yes, there's uh, yes, it's very easy to go over the line and do it in an unhealthy way. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but similar to how for example contortion too has like a technique behind it so you don't just like randomly put your head to your butt you like train to get there and so rhythmic gymnastics does have that system to train your muscles to do something so um yeah and and that too translates well to ballet because ballet doesn't really have that uh training aspect it's like we go through the combinations but a 12 year old wouldn't be doing like an hour of conditioning after every mm-hmm. ballet class. So that was kind of an almost a nice advantage to it. Right. Mm-hmm. So is there a lot of um, strengthening to complement the stretching then? Cause it, yeah, you're right. It's like misconception, I suppose, right. Of just like over stretching like crazy, but yeah, it has to be a strength to back it up. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, they do overstretch for sure. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm not defending that, um, <laughs> but they, I think what people don't see is the strengthening on the other side, partly because um, like the image of these rhythmic gymnasts is like, they're these tiny little things mm-hmm. and you just don't really see all the muscle building behind the right. scenes, but yes, there is a ton of core and leg strengthening. And like, like I said, we, an hour of conditioning at the end of every training session. So, mm-hmm. yeah, well, I imagine it's similar to ballet and that you're training to create those long lean muscles. So it's like a different look, you know? So mm-hmm. when did you decide that you were like, I'm, I have to focus on one of these and how am I going to choose which one I'm going to do? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I was competitive, I think for two years and then it just became it came to that point where I did have to pick one in terms of like, if I was going to go with rhythmic gymnastics, then I was going to start focusing on like the really big competitions. And I mean, the top of that ladder is the Olympics. And so if you're going to kind of go into that track, then you have to start thinking that way. And it was, uh, it was just a little too much for me. I think I, uh, I saw ballet as a better Mm long-term activity for myself and rhythmic gymnastics you can really only do it into like your 20s and like mm-hmm. ballet doesn't even have that long a shelf life but then this is even worse so right wow yeah yeah 
So uh, what brought you to NCSA then? How, how, after you decided to fully shift gears into ballet, how did you sort of plan out your training from there? Uh, I did start getting a little bit more intensive with the ballet training, obviously, after I quit rhythmic gymnastics. And um, about halfway through my high school career, I was just getting really overwhelmed because I was still trying to do public school. And uh -huh. I was in a suburb of Boston um, and I would like race to the train after school to get to Boston. I would be getting home at 10 p.m., starting my homework at 11. And mm -hmm. so um, my mother actually, like, <laughs> thank you, mom, uh, was like, well, there's this audition coming up and Ethan Stiefel's going to be there. And why don't you just go? Um, and I got accepted for the year program. And it was just a really good opportunity to be able to focus on ballet, but also still get a good education, which was very important to me and my, my parents as well. Um, so it was kind of the best of both worlds and it wasn't going to be killing myself yeah. every day. So, yeah. yeah. And then in terms of companies, how did you kind of like decide where you were going to end up? What companies did you have your eye on? Uh, I was going to go, I was going to split my time between Cincinnati summer and festival ballet Providence summer mm -hmm. that year, you know, that I was going to decide. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, then I got a stress fracture and I was kind of recovering from that. So it came down to like picking one or the other, cause I wasn't going to do a seven right. week long summer that year. So, right. um, and Providence I felt was a nice small company that um I'd heard really good things about how the dancers are treated and like the type types of opportunities the dancers get and mm -hmm. um it's also an hour away from my family which is also important to me mm -hmm. um and as soon as I came here for the audition I I still remember my audition class feeling like this is really nice I like it here and I feel mm -hmm. like that's not really a, a feeling you get at a lot of um ballet companies so I it felt right for me Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that even at that young age, you were able to have like a more pragmatic approach. I think that a lot of, it's just very easy for kids to get stars in their eyes and be like, I want to be in, you know, American ballet theater and be the star. And, you know, <laughs> but you were, you were really centered on the sort of practicality of like, is this going to be a good environment for artistic development? And will I get opportunities? What do you think um, sort of was able to put you in that headspace? That is a good question. Uh, honestly, I think just being surrounded by the right people growing up mm -hmm. is what it comes down to. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm curious. So are, is, are you guys a ranked company or no? Uh, no, we're not. We have the company and then we have apprentices and trainees. Okay. So that was one of the things we talked about in our fantasy ballet company mm -hmm. episode. Tell us a little bit about like what you feel maybe the benefits are to that, especially in, like you mentioned, a company that's a little bit smaller. Well, I, my first big opportunities on the stage came as an apprentice, mm -hmm. um, as being thrown in as an understudy for like a principal dancer. And it was right. obviously very like terrifying for me, but um, I know that that can't really happen in companies where, for example, I mean, my understanding is that if a company is union, there's like all sorts of rules about who can dance, what sorts of roles. And mm -hmm. um, so there's more red tape. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the things that really jumpstarted my 
career in terms of dancing bigger roles was just that ability to kind of get thrown in and Mm -hmm. dance a solo on stage, even though I have like no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) And so it just, it really opened up the doors in a different way. And it's, it's like, yes, you need to have that experience. Obviously it's really good to build up and have the experience in the core and like move your way up the ladder. Um, but it also is a different, it's just a different way of working. I think, um, it feels slightly less corporate Mm -hmm. and a little bit more focused on the individual dancer and what they're actually capable of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Love it. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, obviously the pandemic affected every single arts organization in the country and, um, every ballet company was forced to tailor, their response to um, their own unique needs. So um, what's Festival Valley Providence been doing to um, keep things going as best as they can for the past year or so? Well, uh, we started with canceling our spring season last year, pretty much like every other like everyone company, else, yeah. yep, <laughs> every other company in the world. And then we held the virtual gala that May, which Mm -hmm. did exceedingly well. It did really well, um, which was fantastic. But um, we didn't do any more dancing until the fall, which uh, at which point we had a small outdoor show, which was um, kind of like it was an independent project. It wasn't necessarily through the company. but the big thing came with Nutcracker when we were awarded a massive grant from the state to build a heated outdoor stage. Wow. And wow. put on three weekends of Nutcracker shows. Wow. wow. Um, yeah, it was a really great opportunity. And, you know, it got us all back into the studio and working towards something. Um, I think we were never really huge on the whole virtual mm-hmm. production sure, thing. Yeah. Um, so the priority was always getting us out there live. And, uh, unfortunately we were not able to perform at the end just because the cases started going up and it, so we ended up, um, nixing it and we did end up filming the Nutcracker, Mm -hmm. but just to have that to work towards and have that company environment again, it was so nice. Mm -hmm. Um, so did you not, you weren't able to do any of the live shows in the end because of the, or did you do some of it? We didn't do any, um, and we ended up, you know, we ended up cutting it off before anything was actually like, we didn't have the stage up yet or anything like that. So, so it was okay. Um, we, they made the decision beforehand when they saw that it wasn't really going to be a good idea. Right. And we were able to pivot really quickly, um, to getting a theater space and and filming it and putting it up in time for the holidays to begin. So Mm -hmm. it, it worked out quite well, but yeah, we didn't get to do any of the performances but it probably just felt so good even just to be in the studios like you probably didn't appreciate nutcracker that way like you hadn't appreciated it probably in a long time right yeah absolutely (laughs) i yeah i don't think anybody was as upset about not performing as they were just happy to have had the opportunity to get back into the studio Mm -hmm. yeah so let's talk a little bit about a project that you are at the helm of called rhode island women's choreography project um, was this something that you started during the pandemic or does it do its origins um, precede that? It They precede it. Um, <laughs> so we shorten it to RAWCP and mm. it started in 2018 and it was created by two of my fellow dancers at the time, mm. um, Louisa Meir and Hannah Klinkman. Um, so it was at the end of our 2018 season and I think they saw this 
void kind of where we were dancing all these works by men. And I think that particular year we happened not to have any female choreographers Mm -hmm. in the season. So the project started out as more of a creative outlet and um, an op- a performance opportunity for any women in the New England area who wanted to present their work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I it actually gave me my own start in choreography because that year in 2018, I choreographed my first piece ever mm-hmm. for that project. Um, and since then, I've been choreographing on and off. And um, it actually, actually, this project led to my first professional commission which is with um, festival ballet providence this spring which i'm super excited about of course um but so the project planted a bit of a seed i think um Mm -hmm. for what the project would evolve into because as soon as they made it official i think it became clear what a need there was for it to exist and it kind of became obvious to everybody involved that it wasn't just going to be a one-time thing and so I joined as a co-director the following year, um, along with my current co-directors, Christy Dubois and Melissa Wong. So now we all run it together. So I want to go back to you getting this opportunity to choreograph for the first time. So I think there's so much conversation surrounding, well, women in ballet have, you know, uh, more time that they need to be on stage. They have point shoes. They have all these commitments and that doesn't allow them to to have time to choreograph. Do you feel like that was why you didn't have, you never tried, or do you feel like you just never thought about it? Like, you know what I mean? What was holding you back from something that you clearly have a talent for? Uh, I think that it was mostly not having the platform to Mm -hmm. do it. So it's like, I mean, it's kind of difficult to just get something off the ground yourself right like, oh I have an idea for a piece so I'm just gonna choreograph do it. it yeah <laughs> that's quite difficult to do um right. and being a choreographer requires inspiration and experience and resources and I yes the timing was an element because I was always busy um dancing but I also did have a lot of ideas and they were all in my head and I felt like I didn't really have anywhere to put them. So this project, um, the way that the project is set up is we get studio space, which is generously provided by festival ballet. Um, and then we also provide the choreographers with a whole cast of dancers to work on. So it's kind of providing all the tools you need to create the piece. And I feel like that was what I needed to kind of kickstart and get my ideas out. Right. So um, is there a way that there's a sort of like screening process or like audition process to to get your work um, to be a part of the project? Yes, we started doing a proposal process. Um, mm-hmm. The first couple of years, we just did like an open application. If you want to be a part of it, you can. Mm-hmm. And then we started. Um, so what really changed our project um, this past year was that the first two years, it was entirely volunteer run. And it was basically, if you wanted to participate as a choreographer, you can. And we realized that if we're actually going to try and make a change and kind of bring, like elevate women to this place of equality, then we need to pay them for their work. Like Mm -hmm. it's just, it feels like something that should naturally be a part of it. And so we started doing that this year, which I'm very excited about, um, but it also meant that like now we kind of do have to look at like who we're accepting and make sure that 
this is something that they want for their career. Right. Um, so now we're asking for proposals and kind of an idea for the piece and they don't have to have experience. Mm -hmm. So um, I think part of the thing is we're trying to lower the barrier to entry into choreography. So you don't have to have created a piece before, but you do need to have an idea and uh -huh. like um, an idea of how you're going to present it. Right. I love that. Actually, I something I've never even thought about, but like, of course, like experience begets experience, but like it's a catch 22. How are you going to get in the door if you haven't done anything, but you mm -hmm. can't do anything until you can have resources and you can have opportunity. So exactly. I think that's, that's so great. Yeah. And so how are you guys raising funds for this? I expect you must be doing some fundraising of your own. Yes, we just finished a big fundraiser um, a couple of weeks ago. So Rhode Island has a brand new day of giving, which is mm -hmm. very exciting. So we did that. And then we do apply to a lot of grants because we're nonprofit based. We're currently fiscally sponsored, but we're hoping to get nonprofit status in the next few years. And um, yeah, so we're definitely we're trying to do a big fundraising push over the next couple of years. Is there a way that we can um, donate if uh, like a link or something that we could give to our listeners who um, are ex as excited about the project as we are now? <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, our website is just riwomenschoreographyproject.com slash donate if you're going to go to that page. But mm -hmm. yeah. That's fantastic. Great. So tell me a little bit about the structure throughout the year. Is there just one period that you guys are kind of bringing choreographers in and then working on new pieces? Or do you have a couple throughout the year? How is that working? At the moment, because all of us co-directors also have other things going on, it's just one event per year and um, application process begins in January. And then rehearsal is a few weeks throughout May. And then Lately, we've been doing the actual production in June. So mm -hmm. it's a few weeks of rehearsal and then it culminates with a public performance, um, like one weekend of shows uh, in end of May, beginning of June. Mm -hmm. So I expect that last year that probably didn't happen. Is that right? And then this year you're going to be bringing it back? It did not happen last year, correct? Uh, <laughs> we canceled it. But what we did this year is we're doing a virtual production and mm -hmm we're improvising how to put together this virtual thing. Mm -hmm. And so we used the application process from last year and we just like the people that we had to decline last year, like, sure. well, let's, you know, this is an opportunity that now you can create your own work. Um, we're not providing studio space this year or dancers. So they're kind of, um, they're, it's definitely more free flow. Mm -hmm. There, some of us pieces will be site specific. Some will be filmed in a studio, but we have a total of six and we'll be filming all of them and then presenting them as a film in June. That's great. Be sure to send that to us because we'll share it with our listeners too. That sounds because sure. that's like uh, a way that everyone can participate in it. You know? Right. Yeah. It is is one of the few nice things about virtual um, performances. I mean, not few nice. It, virtual performances <laughs> have given us an opportunity, but you know, for someone like, you know, us bunheads, like that want to see all these other companies that we can't travel to, you know, um, can't be everywhere at once. So it's a great opportunity for us to get a look at what you guys do. I have, a, I have another question. What is some of the ways that you are hoping that this model maybe could expand in the future? How are you even looking just at how your organization can expand? Mm -hmm. We do plan to continue expanding 
the amount of resources we can provide both educationally and financially. Mm -hmm. So I think we're going to keep trying to raise that money that we can provide a really solid compensation to our choreographers. Um, and then another thing that we implemented this year was a mentorship program. So we got some established female choreographers on board to help kind of guide the creative process for each participant. And I know this is kind of something you talked about on that episode as well about like, there's not really a formal training program to become a choreographer. Mm -hmm. It's sort of this dancer has an idea and the, the artistic director decides to give them a chance. And so it's all very like subjective. Mm -hmm. So um, we're trying to provide knowledge and confidence Mm -hmm to our participants that they feel like they can go forward and actually make a career full-time for themselves if they want to from this. Right. So um, I'm hoping that the mentorship program will be more of a fixture. Um, Like a lot of other things this year, it's kind of experimental. We're figuring out what works and what doesn't. But um, I mean, I'm already really happy with it. I'm happy with the group of people we got on board for it. Um, I all, I really respect all of them as choreographers. And there's more information on our website about mm. the group um, if anyone's curious. But um, I'm hoping that we'll be able to create, I don't want to say an educational element necessarily, but sort of like a professional development aspect to mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, and we've also been having conversations about things like valuing yourself appropriately and negotiating contracts and mm-hmm. finding work opportunities. So that's all really important too. So, um, yeah, expanding that, um, is really important to us. Right. It's like a full the- service. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The mentorship program is like, I mean, obviously it's a particular interest to us. It's something we t- we've been talking about how there's a lack of that, um, sort of, I guess, educational process, but, you know, even I'm just thinking of, um, because you don't have that, like you, you don't, there's no formal training. I think it also makes choreographers like a little bit prickly when they do get input, you know, it's just like, mm. because then it's just your baby and that's it. Like, you don't, you haven't, it's all on you. So of course, as it's hard enough, like dancers, we take things personally, but I imagine like it's even harder there because it's like at all of the, input um you know it's just from the choreographer's brain or like their own whatever they have sought out so maybe it'll like take the pressure off a little bit to just uh you know yeah and i think it's definitely important to have that artistic agency of like i totally understand that it's your baby Mm -hmm. um i'm thinking as myself um being a novice choreographer that I have frequently wished I had someone that I could sort of bounce ideas off of Mm -hmm. or ask like, does this read well? And having someone um, as a soundboard throughout the process would have been really useful to me, like in my first experience too. And I've heard it from other established choreographers as well that like, wow, I wish I'd had someone at the beginning of my journey that could have sort of helped like guide me and figure out my voice. Oh, yeah. 
It's so interesting that you say that because I'm just thinking of like making it a parallel to us in the studio as a dancer. If you're doing, let's say, a variation, you have people in the front of the room that are like, oh, this step's not working so much. I think for you, you should try this, you know, that kind of thing. It's like exactly like you said, like a sounding board. And then it must feel kind of it must feel isolating to just be in the room like, oh, everything that I say goes. But do I want it to be like that? You know, Mm -hmm. so I can that's. Very interesting. I think it's a skill as much as it is an art and skills. Like there's lots of different ways that we can develop skills. So Mm -hmm. hopefully this will be a helpful way. Mm -hmm. So we really look forward to seeing uh, the six virtual premieres. Is that right? Around June? Mm -hmm. June 26th. Wonderful. And all the information is going to be on your website for that. Yes. So riwomenschoreographyproject.com. So for our last question, can you just tell us um, what sort of uh, ambitions, like what are your biggest goals for the project? What would you, where would you like it to be in say three to five years? <laughs> um, so Twyla Tharp recently said a quote, I think it was to the New York Times maybe, that she doesn't think of herself as a female choreographer. She just thinks of herself as a choreographer, period. Mm-hmm. And I love that because honestly, ultimately our goal is to not need to exist. Like mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. the long, the long-term goal. Here. Right. right. <laughs> Ideally we're seeing stories being presented on stage by all genders and not just in small black box productions, but mm-hmm. up on the main stage right. backed by company resources and promotion and marketing and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but until that's a reality, we'll be here. Um, and so whatever change we can help make in that direction, um, that's definitely our goal. Oh, it's so great. I love how we just were talking about an idea and then you got in touch with us to share this. I think it's so wonderful. And we're really grateful that you took the time to tell us about it today. And we know our listeners are going to be super interested in it and that they'll all be able to participate in your event in June if they want to, because it is digital. Thank you. And I also just want to encourage any dancers, if they're listening to this and they've always wanted to try choreography, um, we would love to have your application next year, because like I said, you don't have to have any experience. Mm -hmm. I think everybody should have the opportunity to try it and see if they like it. So are you just side note, are you taking applicants from anywhere or is it just in your area? They can be from anywhere. Um, as long as, you know, they can get to Rhode Island for the show, Mm -hmm. but yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Eugenia. It was lovely meeting you. And I can't wait to hear more about the project in the future. Thank you. So nice to meet you, too. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 